passage of scripture that precedes the one that Lorraine led. Starting with 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, he is good, his love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 head of cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. So the king and all the people dedicated the temple of God. The priests took their positions, as did the Levites, with the Lord's musical instruments, which King David had made for praising the Lord, and which were used when he gave thanks, saying, His love endures forever. Opposite the Levites, the priests blew their trumpets, and all the Israelites were standing. Solomon consecrated the middle part of the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord, and there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the fellowship offerings, because the bronze altar he had made could not hold the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat portions. So Solomon observed the festival at that time for seven days, and all Israel with him, a vast assembly, people from Lebohamath to the Wadi of Egypt. On the eighth day, they held an assembly, for they had celebrated the dedication of the temple for seven days and the festival for seven days more. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people to their homes, joyful and glad in heart for the good things the Lord had done for David and Solomon for his people Israel. This is quite a passage of scripture, isn't it? We'll get to this in a moment, but let me just share something. I shared this sermon, the basic outline of this sermon, back in 2005 in Ellenberg Depot. And I was just going over my sermon notes the other day, and I began sharing some of the struggles that had happened that year. First, there were a couple of hurricanes, Katrina and Rita, that had devastated the southern United States. Mudslides and flooding had wreaked havoc in South America. An earthquake on the border of Pakistan and India did horrendous damage. There were torrential rains and flooding in the eastern United States, in New Jersey and New Hampshire. As I was reading that, I said, boy, that sounds a lot like what we're dealing with right now, doesn't it? I don't know if you've been impacted by the flooding and by the storms that have come through, but they have wreaked havoc. There's other places that are dealing with horrendous heat. I don't do well with heat. If it gets up above 80, I'm, I'm done. I'm sunk. Um, we are living in some challenging times, aren't we? This summer has been a challenge. And some people have said to me, is this a wake-up call from God? Are we in the last days? What in the world is happening in our world? 
I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have definitive answers, but I'll tell you, as God's people, we need to wake up. We need to pay attention. And we need to seek his face in a way unlike we've sought it in a very, very long time. That's the essence of the message this morning. But let's take a look here. David, King David, had desired to build a temple for God. Noble desire, and God told him it was a noble desire. But God also told him no. Why? Because David had shed too much blood. But he did choose David's son Solomon to build the temple for the Lord. If you have some time, I would encourage you to go back and read the opening few chapters in the book of 2 Chronicles. I know 2 Chronicles is not the most exciting book of the Bible, but it gives us a good picture of the way God was working at that point in time. As we come to this passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, we see that the temple had been built and furnished. The Ark of the Covenant had been brought to the temple. And it's interesting, when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the temple, something wonderful happened. 2 Chronicles 5 tells us, then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. What a picture, isn't it? What a picture. Do you remember another story from the Bible, from the Old Testament, where there was a cloud? Back when Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt, God led the people by a pillar of cloud by day, by a pillar of fire by night. That cloud was a symbol that God was with them. God was leading them. God was taking care of them. Here we find when that temple was built, when the Ark of the Covenant came in, that cloud filled that temple. That cloud symbolized the very presence of the Lord with them. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that precious? And then chapter 6 records Solomon's prayer of dedication. And again, I would encourage you to take a few moments to read that prayer. And what a wonderful prayer that is. Basically, Solomon was praying, you know what, God? If for some reason your people decide to turn away from you, if they sin against you and then come back, would you please forgive them? Would you please forgive them? In other words, would you please give them another chance, a second chance? Wow. And then chapter 7 here records the dedication of the temple. When Solomon finished praying, something happened in it. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And it says, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. In fact, the glory and presence of the Lord so filled the temple that the priests could not enter it. The priests couldn't even perform their duties because God's glory and God's presence so overwhelmed that place. What a sight that must have been. What an experience that must have been. How did the people respond? 
when the people saw it, in verse 30, when the people saw it, they knelt down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave thanks to God. They were just overwhelmed with praise for what God was doing. And what a beautiful and glorious picture. God came near. I guess that's the best way to put it. God came near. God's presence was there. He accepted their offerings. He accepted the temple that had been built in his honor. God came near. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a worship service where God's presence came near? Where God's presence just filled the place? We have had the privilege on a number of occasions to listen to Pastor Paul Detmer, and I asked him if I could share this this morning. But Pastor Paul Detmer grew up down in Cherryville, Pennsylvania, not far from Allentown. He went to United Wesleyan College. I went to United Wesleyan College a few years later. But Pastor Paul has shared with us how there were times when God's spirit just moved so much in those services at Cherryville that the service would stop, that people would just start confessing their sins to one another. They would gather around the altar. They would do business with God. And I'm going to be honest with you. When I was in Allentown going to United Wesleyan College, I attended a little country church, Zion Wesleyan Church at Point Phillip, Pennsylvania, and you can't even find it on a map. It's just a dot on the map. But I'll tell you, there were times when God came near. I still remember the one Sunday where one of the gentlemen, he was an older student from the college, uh, he stood up, his name was John, he stood up, he says, I gotta make things right. I, I talked harshly to my wife this morning. Margaret, I wanna apologize to you, but I need to go to that altar I need to go to that altar and get things right with God. And as soon as that happened, somebody else turned to another person. I am sorry for what I have done to you. We need to make it right. Throughout that whole church, people were being convicted by the presence of the Holy Spirit. They were being convicted of things in their lives that were not right. There were times where that would go on and on and on. God was there. And I remember on those occasions, and it happened more than once, it happened a number of times in the short time I was there, but I remember the pastor, Dr. Edward Bean, standing up and saying, you know what, I had a sermon ready this morning, but God had other plans. God had other plans. I'm just going to step back and let God do what he wants to do. Wow. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Our prayer this morning, our prayer every day should be, Lord, do it again. Do it again. Come near. Draw near. Do your work with your people in your churches. Do your work. As we come to the passage of Scripture that Lorraine read, we see God's response to Solomon's prayer from chapter 6. The Lord appeared to Solomon and responded to that prayer that Solomon had prayed. He acknowledged that if the people sinned against him, going their own way, and then came back to him, 
he would hear and respond as they called out to him. And most of us know 2 Chronicles 7.14. Most of you could quote it by heart. And I know Lorraine has said that she has in the past sung a song with these words. But if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We often use this verse in connection with revival. And I'll tell you, we need revival. But there is only, there's no magic formula for revival, but if there were, there are some principles here that could lead in that direction. But revival is gonna only happen as we get serious about our walk with God. As we get serious about living for him and doing what he wants us to do. One thing is clear here, revival begins with God's people. If my people, who are called by my name. Revival begins when God's people get serious about their walk with God. Revival begins with us. That's the bottom line, isn't it? When God's people get serious about their walk with God, what's going to happen? Other people will sit up and take notice. Other people will see what God is doing. Others will hunger and thirst for what we have. Others will be convinced and convicted by the way we live. They will see something that they long for, that they hunger for. May God help us. May God help us to seek God with all of our hearts. But if God's people will do what will humble themselves. I don't know about you, when I was growing up, I heard a lot of sermons against pride. Urging us to get rid of pride, to put aside arrogance, to put aside self-reliance, to humble ourselves and admit our need for God. We don't hear so much about that anymore, but the need is still there. We need to humble ourselves before Almighty God. We need to humble ourselves, but we need to pray. We need to really do business with God. Many of us, our prayers are, oh, Lord, bless so-and-so. Oh, Lord, somebody needs healing. Oh, Lord, you know, help me to find a parking spot in the parking lot. You know, petty things. We need to start doing business with God, don't we? We need to really get our hearts right with God. Who are we praying for? Are we praying for unsaved loved ones? for unsaved friends, for our neighbors? Are we praying for our leaders? Are we praying for our nation? It's quick to criticize, isn't it? And it's easy to criticize. I mean, I go on Facebook and I try to use it as a tool to share Christ. But I'll tell you, I've got some on there that every post is critical of our nation, of our political leaders. What are we doing as Christians? Are we criticizing or are we praying? We need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray, not just for those we love. We need to pray for our churches. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our leaders. 
We need to pray that God would give wisdom to those in leadership, but we also need to pray that God would help them to stand up and do what is right. We need to pray for their salvation, for their families. And this is biblical, and you will find that in the New Testament in some of Paul's writings where he urges his people to pray for those who are in leadership. We need to pray for those who are serving the Lord. It was interesting the other day when I went on Facebook on my birthday, the first birthday wish I got was from Thailand from Thailand, from a missionary that I grew up with. Who are we praying for? Are we praying for those around the world? Are we praying for our missionaries? Are we praying for our Bible translators? Are we praying for those serving the Lord? Jim faithfully reminds us every week that we have missionaries that we are supporting. Are we praying for them? Are you praying for them? Are you praying that God would use them in a mighty, powerful, powerful way? We need to be people of prayer. Second Chronicles chapter 6 is Solomon's prayer of dedication of the temple. And he begged God, pleaded with God, if his, if his people would sin against him, and they came back and prayed there to the Lord, prayed toward that temple that God would hear. But it was interesting. I was reviewing this this morning. He also said, if there's people from other nations who come, who find God, who want to put their trust in God, who want to come, hear them as well. I thought that was interesting. Who are we praying for? Are we people of prayer? Ezra 9 and Daniel 9 are both powerful pictures of prayer where God's people prayed for their nation. David Livingston, the great missionary to Africa, I am told he died on his knees praying to the God he loved. How is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? May God help us to be people of prayer. We also need to seek his face. We also need to seek his face. God is not playing a game of hide and seek with us like our children have done in times past. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I'm sorry, but there were times when I would go in to wake somebody up for breakfast and for school. I knock on the door, nothing. I knock again, nothing. I'd open the door, nobody in sight. The bed was unmade and empty. I'd look under the bed, nobody. And I'd look in the closet and there was somebody stifling a giggle. <laughs> I got one over on mom. <laughs> you know, you've had the same thing with some of your children. They love to play hide and seek. Or one of the first games we play with them is peekaboo. But you know what? God is not playing hide and seek with us. When he says, seek me, he wants us to truly seek him. Jeremiah 29, verses 13 and 14. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, 
I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. God wants us to seek him until we find him. And he's not hiding someplace off in another part of the world. He wants us to find him. He's not hiding. He wants us to earnestly seek him until we find him. He wants more than anything else to be found by us. Let's really seek the Lord until we find him. But we also need to turn from our wicked ways. Something hit me this week, and it hit me hard. In fact, the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night with this thought. Many people want God's blessings without living God's ways. Did you hear that? Many people want God's blessings, but they don't want to live God's way. They want to make up their own rules. They want to follow their own guidelines for living. They want to do their own thing and hope that God will bless them. They want to decide how they want to live their lives and want God to bless their choices, their lifestyles, and their actions. To be blunt, this is not the way it works, is it? As God's people, we need to live God's way. And he's made it very clear what he wants from us. He's given us his word. And we need to be people who get into his word, who study his word, who read his word, who spend time in it. We need to let that word not just sit on a table or on a shelf. We need to get into it so that it gets into us, so that it gets into our hearts. May God help us. May God help us. If we want God's blessings, we need to follow in his steps and walk in his ways. And you know, most of us here would not consider ourselves as awful sinners. I don't think there's anybody here that's committed an awful crime. God wants all of us. He wants every single one of us. And I will say, if there is anything in our hearts and in our lives that is keeping us from walking close to God in complete obedience, then for us that is sin. And it needs to be taken care of. What do we do with those things? The Bible makes it very clear. We need to confess our sins to the Lord. And he will hear us. He will forgive us. He will give mercy and grace. I found a Bible verse in my reading the other day. Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. What do we do with our sin? We bring it to the Lord. We confess it to him. We seek his forgiveness. And when we do, he promises to abundantly pardon, to abundantly forgive. May God help us. If there is anything in our lives that is more important to us than to God, than God, then for us that's sin. And we need to face it. We need to address it. We must let the Lord have first place in our lives. We need to live so close to the Lord that nothing will come between us and him. 
When I was a teenager, I remember one Sunday morning going to church and I was struggling with some hard things, struggling with depression. And teenagers struggle with a lot of different things, but for me it was depression. But I remember that Sunday morning, the last song that was sung was a song we don't hear very often. It's called Nothing Between, Nothing Between My Soul and My Savior, so that his blessed face may be seen. Nothing preventing the, the, his favor. Nothing between, let nothing between. Let nothing come between you and the Lord. That's the way we as Christians should live, isn't it? Living in such a way that nothing, absolutely nothing will become between us and the Lord. And then we have God's promise. The Lord promises that if his people will humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, what's going to happen? He will hear. He's not deaf. He will hear. He will forgive. He will heal. Isn't that wonderful? This is talking about the nation of Israel, but it's appropriate for us as individuals, as God's people, and even Americans, if we will humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, then he will hear from heaven. He will forgive their sin. He will heal their land. He will. He will hear us. He will hear us. He will forgive us. He will heal. Isn't that powerful? What a promise. What a promise. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward here. But I'm going to close and say, I don't know about you, but my heart is troubled by some of the things that are happening in our world today. My heart is troubled by what is happening in our nation, what is happening in our world, some of the decisions that are being made my heart is troubled over some of the things that are happening in some of our churches. A cousin of mine just announced that her little church is going to be closing here at the end of this summer. May God help us. We see needs all around us, don't we? We see people who have lost so much because of the floods. We've seen people with so much heartache. The greatest need is not for more food and clothing for these. It's not just for leadership. There's a spiritual need, isn't there? There's a spiritual need. And I want to give a challenge this morning. May we as God's people do what we are called upon to do in this passage of Scripture. May we prepare our hearts and our churches and our land for revival, for a mighty moving of God in our midst, for a mighty outpouring of God's Spirit for a mighty filling of his churches and his people with and for his glory. I want to say, we've gotten glimpses of it in the past, but God wants to do it again, doesn't he? God wants to do it again. And my prayer this morning is, God, please do it again. Do it here in Cadeville. Do it in our surrounding towns, in our surrounding areas. Do it in your church, across this state, across this nation, and around the world. There are good things happening. We got a good report from Jim Pickett of what's happening over in 
in Africa and how God is working over there. We need to pray for God to do it again here. Will you join me? Will you join me in praying for God to do a mighty work in our midst? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your graciousness to us. You have been so good to us. You have poured out blessing after blessing after blessing. But we pray this morning if there is anybody here who needs to take a step back to you, who needs to recommit their life to you, who needs to confess things to you that they need to make right, who may need to make things right with other people, Lord, would you work? Would you do a work here in our midst today? Just have your way here in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As the worship team leads us in our song, I will be down front, but if anybody wants prayer or needs prayer, I am here. Please stand. Thank you, worship team. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would do such a mighty, mighty, powerful work in our hearts and on our lives, that it would be a fire, that it would be a light, that it would lead others to a saving knowledge of you. Do your work in us, but do your work through us, we pray. Do your work through us. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Be with us now as we go forth from here. Help us that our lives would be a radiant witness and testimony to those around us of your love and of your grace. And give us opportunity this coming week to share that love with others and to make a difference where we live, where we work, where we worship as we go about our way. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.